All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Heaven on Earth. And every week of this series is going to be different. But each week we have a God-sized goal to see God help people both within the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church. We think it's going to be an amazing series. Now, as you see from this swimming pool behind me, it's not a normal weekend here. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus is speaking to his followers. He's giving them some final instructions before he ascends back to heaven. So this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. These are kind of his final instructions. And here's what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, we are going to fulfill those words that Jesus spoke on the side of a mountain in Galilee 2,000 years ago. In other words, we're going to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. You know, if you didn't grow up in church or maybe around church rituals, baptism probably seems kind of strange to you. I know when I first became a follower of Christ, I thought, okay, so Jesus wants us to slam people under the water and then bring them back up again. That just seems really weird to me. Maybe it's because I didn't grow up going to church. I never went on Christmas. I never went on Easter. I never went to church my entire life until I was a freshman in college. And when I was growing up, I didn't have what you would call a personal relationship with God. So I never read my Bible. I only prayed when I was desperate. I was into sports, school, and girls, and not necessarily God. That was kind of my life. I was also really into rap music. I know I'm not the normal demographic maybe that you would think of that with, but was really into rap music, and one of my favorite groups was called Bone Thugs in Harmony. They had number one hits like Crossroads and Thuggish Ruggish Bone, which I'm sure you're all very familiar with those songs. Now, I don't listen to their music today, and I would not endorse the lyrics of their songs. Most of their songs were about drug use and thug life, and although I never did drugs growing up, I was from the mean streets of Wyzetta. <laughs> Grew up on five acres in the country. So the whole thug life thing, I was like, well, you're speaking to me right now. I can totally relate uh, to this. A few months ago, I had an attender at our Woodbury campus. He emailed me, and apparently he drives an Uber part-time. And here's what he said in his email. He said, this morning, I decided to get up early and pick up a couple of guys in St. Paul around 5 a.m., they asked me if I knew who Bone Thugs in Harmony was. I told them that I knew of the band but had not heard of their music. It turned out one of the guys in my car was in the group. He said they were playing at the Skyway Theater on January 13th. I forgot to ask him his name, so when I got home, I took a moment to look them up to see who might have ridden in my car. There's, there's five members in the group. He said, and I realized that I probably should not have had any of them in my car based on their past activities probably true. Now he went home. He couldn't figure out which member of the group was in his car. He, he writes, I think it was either busy bone or flesh and bone. If you're curious about the names of the other three members of the group, it's crazy bone, lazy bone, and wish bone. So if you'd like to join the group, I think T-bone and chicken bone are available. Okay. If you're interested in making a career change, those are your choices. So he turns to this guy from Bone Thugs and Harmony, and he goes, you know, I got to tell you, the only reason I've heard of your group 
is because my pastor has talked about them in messages. He said the guy from Bone Thugs and Harmony almost fell out of the car. He said, I thought he was going to open the door and just jump out. He looked at him. He said, what church do you go to? Like, what is wrong with, you know, Christians in the church in America today, probably? So he's talking to this guy and he concludes the email this way. He says, he asked me again what the name of the church was. Just couldn't quite get over that. And then he adds, you never know. Maybe he's an online viewer now. So Busy Bone, if you're tuning in today, welcome to you. But I would have to let you know that my life has changed a lot since high school. See, when I was in high school, I used language that I wouldn't use today. I would steal CDs from Best Buy. I underage drank. And most importantly, I ignored God. I thought life was just about sports and friends and school. And God was just kind of on the back burner of that. But then my freshman year of college, I got down on a dorm room couch and I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And when I did that, I confessed my sin. And when I did, it wasn't just, you know, oh, sorry about that, God. I repented, which is a fancy word for, God, I am done with that old life. I want to move into a different life. And I remember praying, God, would you change me? Would you transform me? And God has done that. Not overnight, of course, but the start of it was on that dorm room couch. Friends, there is a power in the name of Jesus Christ that isn't found anywhere else in this world. It is a power that can turn a follower into a leader. It's a power that can take an ex-convict and make him or her a productive member of society. It's a power that can help an addict get sober. It is a power that can break destructive habits. It can bring dead marriages back to life. It can help parents have a patience and gentleness with their kids. It is a power that gives you the hope of eternal life, and it takes away the fear of death. I do not know where I would be if I had not asked Jesus Christ into my life 20 years ago. God can transform your life. He has been doing it for thousands of years. Today, I want to take you to a chapter in the Bible, Acts chapter 16, that tells three stories of God changing a person's life. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's the story of how the early church began. So Jesus comes to this earth. He's born in a manger, Bethlehem, all of that. He then teaches ethics that much of our morality is still based upon today. He's crucified on the cross, but he doesn't stay crucified. He rises back to life and people see him with their own physical eyes. We have written documents that confirm this to be true. I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that he, speaking about Jesus, was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Many of whom, he writes, are alive, though some have died by now. When I was in college and I was trying to figure out who Jesus was and what the Bible is all about, I remember I read a book that it was a debate between an atheist and a Christian regarding the resurrection. And at the time, I thought the atheist was going to have stronger arguments because that's what you just kind of assume to be true. He didn't. In fact, at one point, the atheist concedes that this verse that I just read to you was from two to three years after Jesus died on the cross. 
He even admits how devastating that is to his own argument. See, here's Paul, and he's like, bring it on. I mean, if you don't think that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, why don't you go ask people? Most of them are still alive. And back then, there wasn't millions of people in a city. It wasn't even hardly thousands in most cases. So when you say 500 people, I mean, go down the street, go down that street, you can talk to these folks. This is why Christianity has billions of followers today. It started with the firsthand eyewitness account of those who saw Jesus Christ in resurrected form. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Now, before I read to you Acts chapter 16 and these three stories, I want to ask a question. Have you ever had a divine encounter before? What I mean by that is there ever been a time in your life when you were in church and the music or the message, it spoke right to you. And you're sitting there going, are these people following me around during the week? I mean, God, are you giving them inside information? What's going on here? It's a divine encounter. Or maybe God brings another person into your life at just the moment that you needed them. And that person helps you come back to church or to come to faith in Christ, and you just needed them at that moment. I don't think that's a coincidence. All throughout the Bible, we see a God who is pursuing his people. We can try to ignore him. We can try to run from him. But even when we don't expect it, God will send another person into your life, and it is a divine encounter. In Acts chapter 16, there are three people who have a divine encounter like that. The first one is a woman named Lydia. And she's described this way. It says she's a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Now, we read stuff like that today in the Bible, and we think, oh, you know, what is she, like selling purple yarn or something like that? But think fashionista here. Lydia is the CEO of her own clothing line, and she's doing quite well as a result. In today's terms, we might say she has a house in New York, L.A., and Paris. She goes to fashion shows and film festivals. Her, front, her, her face is on the front page of fashion magazines. Lydia is very wealthy. The next verse describes her this way. It says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, whenever you hear that phrase, worshiper of God, in the book of Acts, oftentimes it's referring to a person who believes in God but hasn't heard about Jesus Christ yet. So they, they believe there's a God who exists. They're a God-fearing fearing person, but they haven't heard about Jesus. In today's terms, we might say something like, well, you know, I believe that there's a God who exists, but he doesn't have a real big impact on my daily life. That was Lydia. She was career-driven. She was, had a career purpose, and God was kind of on the back burner. But she's spiritually seeking, because when Paul and Silas, the two people that God sends to have this divine encounter, when they meet her, she's at a woman's Bible study. And here's what happens in the next verse. It says, as Lydia listened to us, that's to Paul and Silas, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with the other members of her household. It was a divine encounter. And from that divine encounter, Lydia opened up her heart to God. As Paul and Silas leave Lydia's house, they have another divine encounter. 
This time it was with a teenage girl who was a slave and she was mentally challenged. It says that she had made her masters a lot of money. So you can kind of get an, an idea of what she was forced to do on a daily basis. But when Paul and Silas encounter her, it says that Paul spoke to the demon within her. Now we don't exactly know what that means or, or what that was specifically, but he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. That there is a power in the name of Jesus Christ. He says to come out of her and instantly it left her. Just like that. All the tears, all the pain, all the years of being used and abused by another person instantly. God transformed this woman's life. And her life really was transformed because the next verse says that her master's hopes of wealth were shattered. And that didn't go over so well. Her masters went and got some friends, and this mob beat up Paul and Silas and had them thrown in prison. How about that for a divine encounter? You're like, thank you, God, for sending me to these people. But that's just it. Sometimes you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you face pain or opposition anyway. In Paul and Silas's case, they were right where God wanted them to be. Because that night, an earthquake hit. And it wasn't just a normal little earthquake. It was a massive earthquake. The doors of the prison came off and the chains of the prisoners fell off as well. Now, the jailer who was watching over them, he was kind of a duty-bound kind of guy. And he's the kind of guy that just wants to punch in, punch out, go home, have a beer, and watch the game. He's not thinking a whole lot about the meaning of life. He's not going, you know, what's going to happen to me after I die? He just wants to know, I need to do a good job. And so when he looks and he sees that the doors are open and the chains are off, he assumes that these prisoners have fled. And his identity is so wrapped up in his job and doing it well that he takes out a knife and is about to take his own life. Look at what happens next. It says that, Paul cried out to him, don't do it. We're all still here. And the jailer cannot figure out why anyone in their right mind would have their chains fall off and then stay in the prison. He can't figure this out. So it says, trembling with fear, the jailer asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what I want to say to you today. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not that your life is going to be perfect, but God is going to transform it for the better. And it begins just like it began for me on that dorm room couch 20 years ago. It begins when you confess your sin to God. Some of you say, well, my, my sin's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'm not perfect, but everybody makes mistakes. Who cares? God is so holy and so just that he must punish sin. In fact, this was God's conundrum. How do I punish sin and maintain my holiness and at the same time have a relationship with sinners who I love and who I created? And his answer was Jesus Christ, his very own son, perfect in every way. Jesus never sinned. He never deserved the penalty of death, but he voluntarily died to take your penalty and my penalty so that we no longer face judgment, but we receive forgiveness. 
We no longer have to face the penalty of eternal death, but we receive the free gift of eternal life. You know, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm a Lydia. I've been career-driven and career-focused, and I've kind of just put God on the back burner. But I want to know Jesus. There's something in me that wants to know God, and I'm telling you today you can begin that relationship. Some of you maybe are like the slave girl, and you can relate to feeling like a person who has been used and abused most of your life, and you're hurt, and you have felt unloved and inadequate and inferior. And I want you to know that in an instant, God can transform your life. Some of you may be like the jailer. And you say, I don't even think about this kind of stuff. I don't even think about life and death and purpose and you know, what God would want for me. I just want to go hunting. I want to go fishing. I want to go watch the game. I want to go hang out with my friends. Or I just don't think about that kind of thing. But what if God has a plan and a purpose for you that is so much bigger than you ever imagined? You don't want to miss that. And it begins by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And so today I want to give you the chance to do that. At all six of our campuses, in just a moment, I'm going to have you close your eyes and bow your head. And I want to lead you in a prayer to put your faith in Christ. If you've never done this before, you just pray along quietly with me in the quietness of your own mind. I'm not going to ask you to run down the aisle, raise your hand, anything like that. That's just between you and God. So let's pray together at all of our campuses. God, there might be people here today, and you brought them to church for this moment. And it is their divine encounter, God, where you are going to speak into their life. You're going to break into their life right now. God, in the quietness of their own mind, they're just going to pray this prayer with me. God, I am a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sin? I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty that I could not pay for myself. I believe that he rose again so that one day, through faith in him, I too could have eternal life. God, right now, I declare that I am your follower. I believe in you. I trust in you. I invite you to come into my life. God, would you change me? Would you transform me? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I am so proud of you. The Bible says that when you confess it with your lips and you believe it in your heart, that you are saved. But the question is this, well, now what? Well, let's look at what the jailer did next after he believed. It said, that same hour, he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. In other words, they didn't say, you know, I'm going to wait for the summer, do it out at the lake. They didn't say, you know what, I'm going to wait four or five years, maybe I'll do it then. They were immediately baptized that day. Lydia was the same way. It says that she was baptized along with the other members of her household. That happened the same day she believed. What if that was you today? What if today you said, you know what, Jesus, I am putting my faith in you for the first time, and then I am going to immediately be baptized? I'm guessing some of you are like, slow down a little bit. You have some objections. I've tried to anticipate what those are. Maybe for you, you would say, I was baptized as an infant, and my parents or grandparents would be upset at me. Now, this is a big one, so let me try and explain Parents who baptize their kids as infants, 
do so with the best of intentions in mind. They want their kids to know and love Jesus Christ. And so whenever I talk to someone who was baptized as an infant, I will say, you know what? You should honor your parents for their desire to raise a son or daughter who grows up to have faith in Christ. We do child dedications here at Eagle Brook for the same reason. But you should also know that in the New Testament, there's not one example of a baby being baptized. Every single time a person was baptized, they believed first. It was that way for the jailer. It was that way for Lydia. Let me show you another example in Acts chapter 8. It says the people believed Philip's message, so that came first, concerning Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Notice how belief precedes baptism. And this belief or this faith, it's not your parents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your priest's faith. It is your faith. Don't bank on an infant baptism as your ticket to heaven. That would be tragic. Now, of course, we want to honor our family and have their approval. But even more than that, we want to honor God and have his approval. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, who am I living to please? Is it God or is it other people? Here's a second objection that some of you might have, and I would just label it as pride. I became a follower of Christ at the age of 19. I wasn't baptized until I was 26, seven years later. Why did I wait so long? I don't know. After a few years, I started to worry what other people would think. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going, you know, if I get baptized, people are going to look at me and they're going to go, they haven't been baptized before? I mean, they've been coming to this church for a year. I mean, I'm really surprised they haven't been baptized yet. And that's probably the voice they're going to use too. <laughs> maybe you say, you know what? I'm too old to get up and do that. I'm too young and cool to get up and do that. As somebody who waited an embarrassingly long time myself, I can relate to all those. But here's a thought for you. How proud of you would God be? How proud of you would God be if you stood up today and said, Jesus, I am your follower, and I am going to publicly declare that to my church. I'm going to draw a line in the sand to show you that I am your follower. I believe God would be so proud of you for that. Here's another objection, objection some of you might have. But the water's cold, my hair will get wet, my makeup will come off. This past December, a couple invited me down to Florida to perform their vow renewal ceremony. And as a part of this, they wanted me to baptize them in the ocean. And the day of the ceremony was like a mild hurricane. I mean, it was just the windiest day you've ever seen. It was so windy. They came to me and they said, you know, are, are you sure? You think it's okay that we're going to go through this and, and do these baptisms in the ocean? I said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a professional. I have baptized people in a lake during a thunderstorm. If you think a little wind is going to scare me away, you got to be kidding. So we head out into the water, and it is freezing. And we're baptizing the mom and the dad first. And I can tell that, you know, the dad is just pretty, you know, the cold water's bothering him. So I'm kind of holding on to him. Here's what happened next. Take a look.
Mom down, mom down, mayday, mayday, mom's down. Didn't you like how me and the dad kind of held each other like a couple schoolgirls, you know? His wife's drifting off into the Atlantic and we, we got it, we had each other, man. We were there for each other. Uh, she got up and she gave me a look. I mean, I'll tell you what, I don't know if I remember having a look like that even for my own mother and it was like, you better get this over with quick. So we just slammed him under the water and got out of there. But here's my point. If they can get baptized in the ocean during a mild hurricane, you can step into a heated pool and get your hair wet. <laughs> Besides, we have everything that you need. We've got a towel for you. We've got clothes for you to change into. We've got sandals. We've even got like deodorant and hair products. Everything you could possibly need. That's right. Even if you did not sign up to be baptized today, even if you weren't planning on getting baptized today, you can come and we will give you clothes to change into. We have security to watch your stuff. We will hand you a towel when you are done to dry off, change back into your clothes, and be along on your way. No excuses. Some of you might say, well, I want my family to see. We have professional photographers at every campus who will capture these images for you to share with your family and friends. For some of you, today is your day. It is a divine encounter that God brought you here for the purpose that maybe like Lydia, you would open up your heart to him and that you would publicly declare your faith through the act of baptism. I wanna show you the story of a couple who last year they were sitting in your seats. They didn't sign up to be baptized, they had not planned to be baptized, and then they had a divine encounter. Their story is very powerful, take a look. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. Hi, sweetheart. July 12th, 2012 is a day we will never forget. It's the day that our son Austin was born. Can you hold Austin's hand? Oh, that's so nice. When I delivered him, I knew something was wrong. He had birthmarks covering 65% of his body, including his face. He looked sick. He looked not okay. And I was terrified. My stomach flipped. And I just remember driving home and not even able like, to move the steering wheel. I mean, just like frozen. And just, just went home scared, just scared. We uh, found out that he was diagnosed with Sturge-Weber syndrome. And what that is is a neurological disorder where the veins don't develop properly in the brain. It can cause seizure and stroke. There's different severities of Sturge-Weber syndrome. And Austin was showing us that we had been given a pretty tough diagnosis. Are you reading Austin a book? You are. There were lots of smiles and lots of good times, but there was, there was a daily battle. He would seize at any given time. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, we took 30 plus ambulance rides through his life and uh, we spent about 70% of his life in the hospital. Say hi, everybody. I'm feeling better. You're just sitting up looking around. Oh, 
Again, the whole time, like for me, I just didn't want to admit to myself that like this actually could take my son from Earth here. The whole time, the whole year, I felt like we were gonna we were gonna beat this. And when it started to sink in that this is going to take his life, I don't know how to describe it. It just I could not come to grips with that. We just loved him, and that's that's one thing we could do. I mean, the, the, in his short time, we were good at that. He felt, yeah, he, <laughs> he felt love. love. <laughs> Thanks for all your prayers. I'll give him a kiss for you. Oh, sorry, sorry. His last MRI, eleven days after his birthday. Um, showed us a visual that Austin would not be coming back to us. We spent the next two days snuggling as close as we could to him until it was time for him to go. On uh, July 23rd, 2013, Austin went to be with Jesus. There's so many emotions um, running through your mind. I mean, our little boy just went to heaven. Why did he only get one year? I got 30 years. And I really realized then that nobody is guaranteed any certain amount of time on this earth. It just put life in perspective for me and ultimately helped me out with the meaning of life. I've always believed in God, but I never truly leaned on God and needed Him in, in my life the way I needed Him now. We were a broken family, and I didn't know how to pick up the pieces myself. Um, and I really just felt through that whole time that God had our, had our back. He gave us the, the tools to maneuver through the pain. I just needed Him, and He was there. I've always yearned for a connection with God. I knew he was there, I believed in him. I just never had that connection. And Austin brought that relationship to me. Austin taught me the language to speak to God. And he allowed me the love and the anger and I got to feel the spectrum of all of it. And I knew all along that God would love me. It was a new beginning, and we were starting on the right foundation. Last year for baptism, we came to church, excited to see everybody get baptized. And it's one of my favorite messages because I basically cry the whole time. And Jason's message, we were so in the moment in that message. There was a point where he said, think of how proud God would be of you to take this step in your faith. And I just remember feeling so strongly like how much God showed up for us in so many different ways that I want to show up for Him and I want to do it today. So Justin nudged me and said, let's do this. And I almost fell over and I kind of left him in the dust because I was running to get registered and he came up behind me and, and we followed through with it. Getting up at the last second and doing something like that is typically something I wouldn't do. You know, I've learned a lot from, you know, from Austin. He taught me just to be, you know, more in the moment. It was the best feeling. It, it changed us in that moment. You know, everything slowed down once I felt the water. And it was a very 
emotional, poignant part of my life. And I felt Austin, I felt proud, I felt God being proud. It just cemented our team that us three, Justin and God and I, are, are in this and we're gonna do this. And it was, it was life-changing for us. It was a moment that I will never forget.